we've been able to see that when I hold company goals important and I hold employee goals important, if I can hold employee goals even over company goals, it almost always wins. And, and when I'm using air quotes here, because you have to be playing a much longer game if you understand that that's what you're trying to do. You are listening to Amplifier Success Podcast, episode 361. And today we're going to learn about leadership strategies that help you do good in business. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get Amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It's your host, Melanie Benson, authority amplifier and possibility igniter for expert-based entrepreneurs. And today we have a guest joining us to talk about leadership from a very different point of view. And I love this because it's truly about social impact and consciousness wrapped up into how we lead, which I think for so many of us, we're already committed to making a positive difference in the world. So this is going to be really powerful inspiration. And I also think about it from the perspective of when you are an impact-driven business, and let's say you're a coach or you're a consultant, or you have some body of work that you want to train others in or bring to the world in a bigger way, Oftentimes, how we're showing up as a leader in our own business, even if it's a business of one, makes a huge impact on the overall impact we want to make in the world. Now, I've talked a lot about my seven-step framework. I talk a lot uh, now about million-dollar visibility and what that means. And I want to draw a set of connection points between what it means to make a greater impact and why visibility is so important. Million dollar visibility is lovely to think about. We could make a million dollars in revenue and I want that for you. Even if you don't feel driven by revenue, this is is a real opportunity. But even more important, million dollar visibility is about having the ability to make a greater impact because your visibility streams are reaching new levels of growth. You're getting your message out in much bigger ways and you're thinking much bigger than how do I reach the person who's in my city? I want that for you, but I also want you to know you're meant for a much bigger global impact. And that's why I teach my masterclass. If you have not yet taken my most recent masterclass, you'll want to get on the wait list or uh, join us for the next one at MelanieBenson.com masterclass. But you can also get started right now with my seven-step framework. And this is seven steps that are going to help you tap into the million-dollar visibility streams all around you. They're already there. They're already developed. It's going to save you so much time. It's going to get you on the map in an accelerated way. So if you go to AmplifyWithMelanie.com, you can download that. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome back, Amplifiers. I'm really intrigued by today's guest and the work he's doing in the world. And I know this is going to speak directly to you, especially if you lead with your heart 
uh, and your soul has been called to do the work you're doing in the world, you're impact driven, you want to have the philanthropy side of things, all of that. Oh my gosh, I'm just getting chills. We're talking about how to do good in business while doing good for business. And I feel like this is one of these conversations that not only do we need to be activated with, but this is like a um, this is like a world changing conversation that our guest is bringing to the world. So let me introduce him. I'll give you the full uh, official intro. Joshua Berry is a world class facilitator of change as an author, speaker, entrepreneur and director of Econic. Joshua has spent the last two decades evolving the what who, and why of Fortune 500 companies and venture-backed startups. Along with his team, Joshua has sparked change in organizations like U.S. Bank, John Deere, Procter & Gamble, Nelnet, Emeritus. I could go on and on, like Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Nebraska. And we now have an opportunity to tune into this thought leadership and to really find how we as world changers and transformational catalysts and impact-driven people, we can bring this work into our businesses too. So Joshua, thank you so much for joining me today. Melanie, I am excited to be here. Thank you for the glowing introduction and uh, excited not only to be able to share some of the ideas uh, that other business owners can use, but also put on my hat as a small business owner as well and talk about the way our team practices and all of the uh, potholes and and other things that we've ran into uh, with your guests today. So thank you. Yeah, isn't that the the cool part is that we're doing work with different kinds of businesses out in the world, but it always comes back to, hey, we run a business too. And you know, there's both sides of the work that we do. So I'm glad that you can get, you can bring both sides of the equation into the conversation. So the the conversation, the topic, this idea of like, how can we do good in business and be doing good for business? And I'm assuming for the world, like, tell us a little bit about what this means and how you like came to bring this work to the world. Sure. Through the first decade of life uh, after school, I, there was a lot of work that I did around the world helping companies like the Ritz-Carlton or Mercedes-Benz or H&R Block uh, help hire and select and develop great people. And what I found was amazing at a lot of those organizations is uh, what worked best is when they were identifying and finding people where you're already seeing what worked naturally for those people. And you were trying to align yourself with what was for the greatest good for that person so that they could bring that greatness out to whomever that they were serving. Uh, Later on in life, as we started to do some work with startups and then eventually in corporate innovation and culture change, uh, that principle and that idea just continued to keep coming through that if you can figure out how to serve people and bring out the goodness in them, at the same time as thinking about how to have a sustainable and healthy business, there is a lot of good that comes from uh, those ripples that can be created. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm reeled in already uh, because this is definitely a pain point for a lot of my clients. It's a pain point for a lot of small business owners, entrepreneurs, and big companies. And I think right now, and I know I'm not saying anything to you that's a mystery, but we're dealing with a 
um, revolution, I think, in employment and in how companies function and how they not only source but retain talent. And so, you know, we could speak to the big companies, but I know a lot of what's happening for people who own their own businesses, it's like things are radically shifting. Like, how are you seeing like both ends of the spectrum, the the pain point there, I guess we could call yeah, it. Yeah, there's absolutely, as you said, pain points on, on all ends. Um, across the board, organizations are trying to figure out how they can still be healthy financially. But more and more, uh, especially over these last couple of years, there's been that shift to seeing what, what power um, do employee bases have. And that becomes even more magnified in small businesses. And so what I think is happening is there's even more cracks or fissures that are being seen in between what is good for the business and what is good for the employee. Uh, and if you throw in other stakeholders, right, what is good for the people we're serving, what is good for the community, et cetera. And so uh, I think the best and most successful leaders, especially at a small business level that I'm seeing, are being extremely intentional right, about the practices that they're bringing to that. And, and I think in a lot of cases, that means that they're being extremely intentional about how they're treating their people, how they're treating their clients, uh, et cetera. One of the main ways that I see this playing out is people in more impact-driven businesses not holding their outcomes or their goals more loosely, but at least looking at those multi-stakeholders and expanding maybe their view to what those outcomes are, right? Mm -hmm. If, if all you're focused on is how do I get to my seven figure income? <laughs> well, at some point, if you're holding that tightly as a business owner, that will likely come into conflict with a goal of somebody on your team, <laughs> right? And their growth or what they're wanting to do, et cetera. And that tension that gets created is uh, where there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of the study and work that we're trying to do. And yeah, at, at what point do you serve and, and who are you serving and how do you prioritize some of those needs? Hmm. Do you notice a direct correlation between how people are treated and how client retention is for businesses? Phenomenal. It's it's extremely high. Um, if you start to see that you have to keep people in business um, by primarily external motivations, right? Like great pay and benefits and golden handcuffs or other perks, um, those systems only work so far and so hard, right? And when we think about a lot of the things that organizations are trying to shift, a lot of it is trying to get away from more industrial age inspired actions that have turned a lot of our businesses into more machines, right? And people are resources and uh, we're trying to streamline things, et cetera. With all the change that's happening, um, you, you we get called on to come and try to help those organizations become more agile and nimble. And a lot of that comes back to actually probably reinstating the humanity and the people who are already working there, or at least acknowledging it, <laughs> that it's there so that people are permitted to do the natural change oriented things that they, that they need to be doing, which creates the friction, as you said, with some of those systems that are there and put in place to try to keep everything orderly and, and arranged. I'm fascinated by leadership. I'm fascinated by how all of the companies that retain great talent and really do lean into creating a culture where people want to work there and want to be there. Like it is such a 
powerful uh, environment to be able to bring your talents and feel like you're thriving. And I'm just kind of like leaning back into this memory. You know, I had my roots in a Fortune 500 company. I don't know if you knew that coming into today, Mm -hmm. but I remember a very pivotal moment. And I, for the first probably seven years of my career with this one company, I ended up just feeling diminished and devalued. And I was like struggling to find a way for my talents to really be utilized well. And I I ended up feeling like I was a, uh, like a weird star shape trying to fit into all of these like normal holes on the little kids, (laughs) you know, like that little board that they use. (laughs) And I was like, nothing fits. Like, I don't feel like I belong here. And then there was this pivotal moment. It didn't really change my trajectory, but it, it was very like meaningful to me in that I stopped feeling diminished and I started feeling valued. And what had happened is our management had started to go through a Stephen Covey training back there directly. Back then it was directly with Stephen Covey uh, and was learning how to coach people instead of manage people. And I had this huge awareness and this honestly is what was the spark that led me into becoming a coach was when people are managed They are managed to a predetermined outcome, whether or not it's the right fit for them. When people are coached, they are being um, activated to find out what is the thing that lights them up and what's the best place for them in the company. And it radically shifted everything in my life. So I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I know this is probably a a small piece of what you do, but how is what you're doing going to start transforming the way people lead teams and get better results? Well, you, you, I love that example. Uh, part of me wants to say, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, that is a lot of corporate America. And, and there was, I think there was good intention as those things were built. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they're not serving people as well as they used to. And I think we've, we've grown out of some of those. As you were telling that story, a similar story came up to me, but it was one of our earliest hires at Econic. Uh, when my partner and I founded Econic in 2015. Um, After about a year and a half, we were finally ready to hire our first senior consultant that we were going to be paying more than ourselves and bring them in. And uh, she was amazing and left after about eight months. But what happened was uh, about six months into that engagement, she started sharing uh, with me that she had an opportunity to move to London to start a new division for Spotify. And because had a trusting relationship because we built a collaborative culture. Uh, she was open to talking about that. I mean, after she talked to her husband, she talked to me saying, what about this opportunity? Where might this go? Uh, we, of course, cleared some space for her to go explore that. She called while she was over there, not to negotiate, but to discuss how should I approach moving costs and how should we do this? It was wonderful. Uh, fast forward, a number of our referrals of other employees have come from her. And we're even in the stage right now where she is exploring coming back to, in fact, probably by the time this publishes, she'll have rejoined our team five years later. The reason I pull out this story is there was a decision in there to say, are my goals as owner and business owner more important than her goals? And for all the years that I've been in business and grown our multi-seven-figure business, we've, we've been able to see that when I hold company goals important, and I hold employee goals important. If I can hold employee goals even over company goals, 
it almost always wins. And, and when I'm using air quotes here, because you have to be playing a much longer game if you understand that that's what you're trying to do. And it has to be real and it has to be authentic. It's not a means to get to these other things. Mm. I, I'm really like having a flood of all of these situations that I'm remembering people struggling with these moments of how do I do good for the person and do good for my business, right? And yeah. there's this these moments where, and I think this is really like who we're being as leaders starts to um, influence how we make these decisions. And so I'm thinking of a time where there was a, a company that I was, uh, I did some training with them and then they were trying to recruit me into to leadership of their company. And that was not really my path, but I got in kind of in the inner workings and started to hear about all of the ways in which the the founder and the owner would like just train these humans into being these massively powerful uh, team members. But mm. he hadn't created a culture where they were thriving. And then when they wanted to leave, he would like have these horrible fits about it and like, you know, almost try to emotionally manipulate and blackmail them to stay. Because for him, the cost of trying to retrain somebody was so high. And so I'm just curious, like, what are you seeing happening right now in maybe the smaller businesses who the the impact of somebody who's instrumental to the company you know, the continuity of deliverables staying in motion, that cost of losing a key team member is so high. What could they be doing differently that would make these people feel so committed to being a part of the transformation of the company? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing, and you've talked about this a lot in, in your past episodes, is being pretty clear on your purpose <laughs> of why you're doing the things that you're doing. Right? Econic exists to help unleash more human potential on the world's biggest problems. And we do that through evolving how people work. Um, we use that and our core values to basically be a filter on everything. And that goes down to even brass tax things like how are we doing compensation? How are we doing bonusing? How are we doing roles? How are we doing each of those things? And inviting people to be a part of those conversations, I think, allows us, especially in small business, I mean, we're not that large, to be able to engender that ownership, if you will, from other people. Um, and you mentioned it a little bit before, but I think the the beliefs that underlie all of that are extremely important to keep coming back. So some of it is in purpose, some of it is in values, but some of it is just core beliefs. I, I believe that people are innately good and that they're trying their best. And I remind myself of that all the time because there are times that I slip and I don't act that way. But yet when I start from that naive position and I choose to be in that position, uh, what I've started to see is it, it it perpetuates. Like people show up the way that <laughs> that they're meant to be. There, there's a chapter in my book that's coming out soon that that talks about uh, a case study of a manufacturing facility, and the CEO took over uh, the manufacturing facility uh, called Favi, and uh, he took it over, and it was traditional, right? Time clock cards and all of the storage materials were locked up, and you had to go get a coupon to go get a new pair of gloves, etc. And he said. The underlying practices here are assuming people will steal. You're assuming people have to be held accountable. 
what if I started from the premise that people were good? What if I started from the premise that they are to be trusted mm -hmm. and we redo these things? And that organization, again, only a couple hundred employees was eventually able to get to be first in their industry, cut down huge production times, et cetera. Great business results, but it had to come with some faith and some belief. And, and I'm not asking people to throw that completely out the door, all rational thinking, but but to understand that there is a balance between rational thinking and intuitive and emotional thinking that is actually maybe more a sign of maturity uh, than it is naivete, I guess, in a traditional sense. Mm. I think that's such a powerful framework that you're introducing this idea. If we if we choose to go in with this naivety and maybe like not have preconceived judgments and um, paradigms that limit us, that maybe something even more powerful could emerge. Yeah, yeah. You you had uh, someone on uh, recently at the end of August that talked about like, would you rather be right or would you rather be I think successful or something like that? And and that addiction to being right, I think, causes a lot of us to not uh, step into this what if or how might this be, and being able to hold, I think, a lot looser what some of those outcomes are. And there's another individual I interviewed for the book uh, who was part of some of the initial conscious capitalism movement, and Jeff really talks about it as this paradox of purpose, uh, you know, by by leading and doing good in business for multi-stakeholders, most often those businesses, and there've been plenty of studies that have shown that a lot of them do outperform their competitors, both in, you know, in retention and overall shareholder value, et cetera. But the paradox is you have to have faith that that's probably going to happen. And if you use it as the means to get to those things, then it doesn't end up working out, right? <laughs> It's, it's, it's a little bit difficult. And so I, I struggle sometimes in saying, here's the five part ways to have more faith in people and humanity. But what I can point to is it's, it's worked out a lot. And, um, and it goes down to a lot of the things, even maybe some of the, the things that we practice. Uh, I, can, I can share with you some of our unconventional practices around contracts or around business development at our company. And, and again, probably elicit some laughters and some eye rolls from people on this call. <laughs> well, I think that would be really intriguing. And before you get into that, I want to just come back to the values. You know, in my work, I talk a lot about values. And I know many of us that do transformation work of any kind understand the power of values. But I'm learning that not everybody really understands what values are and how do we really know what values are important to bring into our business to help facilitate what we're talking about here today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if I have a great definition of it, but I would say values and the core values or aspirational values that you're trying to put out there in business are really the words you're trying to use to codify a pattern of being or behavior. That's probably write that down, I guess, if it was good. Right. But I think there is, there's this belief. So our, our core values at Econic uh, one is whole person. And that's understanding that uh, for the people on our teams, for our contractors, for our, our customers, they're whole people and we want to treat them as whole people. And then uh, give more is another one of our core values. And that's to always be coming from an abundance mindset and being on the plus side of the giving equation. And I think the other part of maybe values that I would add to the definition is they're things that can be used and practical. So when we redid our bonus uh, structure internally uh, a year and a half ago, we said, what does give more look like? 
what does whole person look like through that? What does smart kind is one of our values. What does that look like against those things? And so they have to be, I think they have to be actionable and lived and constantly reinforced. Um, and, and a lot of times if you have maybe a good solid foundation of those sorts of things, purpose and those values, at least for me, who doesn't like a lot of structure, um, you don't have to have as much structure, right? Because you're giving people the, the fences on the playground to play within a little bit more with those values and with those purpose statements. That's powerful. I, I, what I saw when you were explaining that is like you're, you're, it's like the electric fence concept, right? It's like you've got the markers so people know where the edges are and there's yeah. this invisible kind of like net that's going around it through the definition and the education and the culture of congruent values through everything you do. And I think that's a very powerful uh, principle to guide people into, no matter what size of business, whether it's you yourself and you are running this business more as a solopreneur through, you know, the, the early seven figure, multiple seven figure, all the way into fortune 500 companies, like you, the congruence of your values are going to be noticed and experienced. And I personally, and I'm kind of, I've got a couple more questions about values, but I personally noticed like when there's incongruence between what the values that are stated are and the behaviors and the decisions that a company leadership makes, that's when it seems to break down. It it, it does. And, and I think this is where sometimes people then challenge us and say, but don't you want diversity of thought? And are you now creating a homogenous culture because everybody's coming the same? And this is why, I hesitated to say values are just the patterns of of behavior. Um, I think I think I might interpret give more differently than you do, Melanie. And we need to have space for that. Mm -hmm. And we need to have space to bring that up and challenge and talk to each other about those sorts of things. And we need to have space to say, you know what, this one doesn't serve us as much mm -hmm. anymore. And let's evolve this. And it can't just be, uh, you know, something that is led by a communications department or or something. Maybe again, talking from the small business standpoint, it could be something that is revisited uh, and should be revisited so that they're enlivened. And if you're from a larger company, there's nothing saying that you can't have the large corporate values that have been agreed upon and you decide to have a subset of values for your team or your department or your practice. Because mm -hmm. what's more important is that you just acknowledge that they're words that you all are coming to some sort of congruency around what they mean and that you're open to using those as discussion and guide points to be able to, to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the distinction between values and standards was coming to mind as you were oh, yeah. talking, yeah. you know, like values are always evolving and standards may evolve too, but maybe that's a little bit of that distinction. Okay, one more um, question around this values is I also have seen, and I think we all have experienced when, you know, maybe the behavior or the decision-making is really like focused on bottom line profits mm -hmm. and a company gets really stuck because they're bored or they're, they're, um, they're, uh, the people that are, uh, invested, uh, their stakeholders, that's the word I was looking for, are really driven by, are you going to bring profit in? And they're having to make decisions on profit and that, and that, decision-making is at the expense of the well-being of their employees. How would you guide somebody or maybe what's a principle that could play out that would bring a new awareness to a different way of approaching that? Sure. 
so so the the first thing that I would say is this is where I'm extremely delighted and happy that most of us maybe here and listening to this are small business owners and we don't have to eventually succumb to people who are so many steps removed mm -hmm. that they can use the proxy of just bottom line results because uh, because that is important and these other things uh, need to be important into it the principle uh, that i would share is for people to understand that it isn't about finding the right answer of it's invest in employees first, or no, it is bottom line first. It's to understand that any of those are paradigms and all paradigms have something you're going to gain or lose from it, right? And so even my approach, like there are things I lose by saying, you know what, we are going to invest more in our employees and, and our margin is going to be used in these ways, et cetera. And we don't have as healthy of a bottom line. But that awareness and consciousness of here's the things I'm gaining and here's the things I'm losing is extremely important. When you have a board or you have investors that are so narrowed into it, um, it becomes really hard to be able to manage that. And so I guess the best advice that I can give is that's why you need to be so, so intentional early on, probably at the stage of a, of a lot of us to say, why are you growing? And why are you seeking to distribute people's uh, the governance over the work and the things that you're trying to do, right? Because <laughs> yes, getting outside capital in the right ways can be extremely helpful. Um, but or do you have extreme align, alignment in those values and what that governance is going to be and how it goes? And are you growing because that is the right thing for what you're trying to serve and do in the world? Or are you growing because your customers or your employees or society or your ego or whatever it might be are driving you to make those decisions, right? Mm. You can either take control of your <laughs> success and growth trajectory or others will take it for you. I think that you bring ego into the conversation is probably a whole episode in itself. <laughs> the next episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, again, like I, I've watched a lot of companies uh, rise and fall and ego plays a pretty big role in how decision-making is either like bringing the best of your team members and employees out or it's diminishing them. And I think oftentimes the fall is because the team is not willing to stand behind what the company is about and where they're going. So that's my, that's my personal opinion, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, we could probably talk for like three hours and just get so many juicy insights out of your mind and out of the work you do, Joshua. But I know you, you mentioned you have a book. I feel like this is a really good time. Maybe you could tell us what the book is about and how it's covering a lot of the principles that we're introducing today. Thank you, Melanie. So yes, coming out in November is uh, my first book. It's called Dare to be Naive, How to Find Your True Self in a Noisy World. And uh, it's it's a little bit of a bold title. Our first publisher pushed on us to try to change it, uh, saying who's going to pick up and want to carry around a book about being naive. And yet, uh, when I went back and um, reviewed a lot of the research and the interviews that I did for this book... It was amazing how many great, extremely successful leaders used the phrase, now this might sound naive, but, and then proceeded to share an amazing bit of wisdom or idea or belief or philosophy. And, and what, 
what it ultimately came down to is I learned that there is, there's almost like a pre-rational, right? This childlike naivete that you have. Then we evolve into this rational thinking mind, right? Of, of everything has to be logical, et cetera. And some of the best leaders actually then move beyond that to something that a lot of times is more what we'll call transrational. Uh, something that I would say is more chosen naivete. Something that says, is this reasonably and intuitively correct in terms of, of what's happening? Uh, the book is not though about here's the seven steps of how you should lead your business differently or leadership traits or anything. In fact, I don't actually think the world needs another leadership book telling people what they should adopt. Uh, it's actually a book that helps people practice how to adapt and how to think more critically about how their beliefs are driving their practices and bringing some more awareness and conscientiousness to that. Mm. Well, uh, I think our amplifier audience here would uh, agree that I'm all about uh, elevating and up-leveling our beliefs to match the version of ourselves that uh, is going to be aligned with su the success that we we are destined for. So I'm, mm -hmm. I can't wait to read the book. I mean, to me, beliefs are the fuel uh, that get us fired up or that diminish that fire and cause us to be paralyzed. So this is, sounds like a fascinating read. How can people, because as this airs, uh, we, your book will most likely already have uh, come out. So where will uh, people be able to find it? Yep. The best places to look would be uh, through any of the independent bookstore websites, uh, Books a Million or, or others, um, but also Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And then uh, the website for the book is daretobenaive.com. Mm. And is there any benefit to going to the website directly over going to some of the mainstream bookstores? You can go to the website directly. It'll link you back to uh, any of those bookstores that are out there. Uh, we're trying to do our best to support all of them. Um, I, I'm a big fan of supporting independent bookstores that are around there. So going in and asking those as well uh, is, is always a great way to continue the spread of the book. It's We've had a successful initial start uh, and, and a few thousand pre-orders already. And so I just got an email this morning about, even before it's published, about the Korean translation somebody wants to do. So it's, it's oh, exciting wow. to see the momentum that is garnering around this. And I think it... It really speaks to a lot more people who are trying to be more genuine, authentic, and intentional about the work that they're bringing to the world. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see how that'll unfold. Yeah. I, and I, again, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is, is being present rather than preconceiving what we think should be happening. You know, and that's that adaptability that you just talked about. It's like being having the superpower of adaptability is going to serve people in so many ways. So it sounds like that's a big part of what you're covering and it's integrated into the book and, and the principles you teach. Well, Joshua, this is the time in our conversation where I like to ask some fun questions to help our All community right. get to on. know you better. <laughs> um, so normally I ask, what's the boldest thing you've had to do that's amplified the success of your business? Yes, that's what we're going to ask. What's the boldest thing, the bravest thing you ever did that helped you amplify the reach of your work in the world? I'll that the first one that popped to mind, there's a few, but the first one that popped to mind is when I left to go out on my own, um, we put our house up for sale and we're pregnant with our fourth kid. 
And um, I, again, I was blessed. I had an amazing wife who was already working and could carry benefits. But I jumped into my first startup uh, with a couple of other guys and it didn't go well. <laughs> Within the first few months, I realized it was not the right move. Uh, and yet the, the next move after that was, do I go back to a corporate job or do I keep trying to figure out why and lean into that? And that began then uh, year about two years of coaching and working with venture-backed startups, starting to apply some of the work uh, in the corporate innovation space, and then eventually into the co-founding of Econic. But it was it was a jump into something that, of course, felt like the right move. And yet, looking back on it, uh, who could have predicted like, where I'm at now, right? I love the Bill, Go Bill Gates quote that, you know, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what can get accomplished in 10 years. And I just just hit my 10-year mark of going out on my own. Um, and I'm, I'm amazed at uh, what 2013 Josh was like compared to right now. Mm. Wow. That question or that answer just gives me so many questions I want to ask. <laughs> but um, one thing that I know when we have failure is failure is information. What do you think is the thing you learned that you're like, if I had only done this sooner, we could have succeeded faster in business? It's probably counterintuitive, but um, I was, I had come to a point where I was trying to be content with always being discontent. And there was always more. And the next achievement is going to be better than the last achievement. And that has been a great superpower. And yet it has also limited me from truly relishing and enjoying a lot of the success that we have had over the years. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I had to gone back to that, it would have been about challenging what quote unquote success was earlier on and, and really relishing and enjoying the moments. I think that's very powerful. I think when we embrace like, like success doesn't have to look like this constant driving ambition for more, more, more. It's, it seems perfectly aligned with what you're bringing to the workplace and, and, you know, like transformation of leadership, like very powerful. Yeah. You. You know, that, that idea of how to find your true self in a noisy world is, is not saying you shouldn't follow the paths of other people, right? Like I, I've, I've seen the do funnels and do marketing and lead gen and all of those things. But also is your true self is at least pausing and saying things like, hmm, do I really think people are prospects or do I think people are leads? Do, do I want to be in a funnel of something, right? It, it, it's a raising to a different level of consciousness and saying, um, there's a noisy world telling me all the things I need to do. I can go along with it, but just don't do it unconsciously, Right. Be aware of the decisions that you're making, the words that you're using, how you're perpetuating things, and then go forward with some of those pieces. I, I mentioned before about contracting, like people have very early on, got to get, get your clients in contracts and you got to lock them down and all of that. One of our best clients, uh, we have billed monthly for the last nine years with no contract, three to $4 million worth of services, right? And, and it's, because there's trust and because there's this belief, because there's a belief we've gone to them several times that I don't think this is a good project. I think we should stop or no, you shouldn't have us do that. You know, I think this person over here, 
right? There's all those core things that you just question what's out there and figure out more about who your true self is, even if the rest of the world is telling you to behave or act in a certain mm. way. You are a very powerful being, Joshua. Thank you for bringing this work to the world. And I look forward to seeing how your work can start to transform leaders and companies and help us do more good in the world. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Melanie. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. 